five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about customer segmentation sort of today. A lot of big tips coming up in the back half. And uh, as usual, my style consultant says I should only talk about one article every day, but there's just so much, so much. And we've got two excellent articles. But first, uh, we had a pretty good snow yesterday, and it's still on the ground. It's a winter wonderland because not all the leaves are off the trees. So that's a really interesting combination of, you know, the red and yellow leaves and the white snow. And it's, it's really unusual and really beautiful. Um, you know, the global warming just hasn't panned out for Wisconsin the way I would have hoped. But it's been a very it was a very nice summer, not very hot uh, and a very nice fall, not very cold. And that's, you know, that's like. East Tennessee mountains, <laughs> I suppose. Anyway, let's go get on with this and let's see what we've got. This is a, supposed to be a snow in Torino, and I don't know if they've had Una record, record, record snowfall. <laughs> record snowfall in Bravo, Nino! Spala, spala! Dig, dig, Nino, dig. Dig the square Nino. bar. What are you doing here, Nino? And all the neighbors come to the bar, and the nuns look in askance, and he has his beer. Beer your Italian taste all year. Okay, that was fun. Anyway, that was that was fun. So that was a snow day event. Incoming call, it says, but it stopped ringing. Maybe they're finally blocking my all my. <laughs> I get a lot of uh, calls from a guy named Spam Risk. That's a good name, but anyway. Okay, so now I want to talk about, this is from Helen Edwards, excellent article. Too often marketers forget their customers are people, not targets. And uh, apparently there was a, a legal case where Nigel Farage was... Uh, his some of his banking some of his banking uh, information was shared with the BBC, who used it uh, in in news events. I don't know really who Nigel Farage Farage is. Uh, I know I've heard the name, but I'm not going to worry about it. Okay, but um, Dame Allison Rose, which means pretty important person. Uh, conveyed confidential information to the BBC, to a prominent BBC journalist. And uh, then NatWest, the name of the bank, their chairman said the experience fell short of the standards that any customer would expect or could expect. That's one of those good tests. A good test of business ethics is, you know, would an ordinary person put up with this? You know, would an ordinary person understand this marketing? You know, or this offer. It's always a good test, right? And uh, so what What Annette, uh, is, this, no, is this Annette? No, this is Helen Edwards. Annette's the next author. What Helen says is that it's amazing that this study was commissioned in the first place. She said uh, it's, 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 you know, first of all, it should have been pretty, clear that that wasn't the st standard behavior for a bank and um there was no doubt about what happened you know the uh 
Dame Allison admitted that she'd told this, given this information. And um, on the exit dossier, it called Farage a disingenuous grifter. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound kind, okay, among other graphic insults. Why does it take subtle legal minds to determine this amounts to poor communication? <laughs> okay. He says, imagine Farage going into a pub where the landlord, neither warming to the cut of his jib, <laughs> which is a sailing term, nor the slant of his politics, abruptly throws a pint of beer in his face. Would the pub group find it necessary to commission legal counsel to educate on the reasonableness of that behavior? No. We know you don't throw beer in somebody's face. You just don't do that. Especially if they're just coming in for a pint like Nino in the previous commercial. Okay, so businesses are outsourcing their conscience. Uh, and marketers talk, you know, we are we are the conduit into the boardroom of everything about consumers and what was interesting is is helen goes on to disparage the view of people as consumers but here she uses it before she gets to that point and i don't know if that was conscious or unconscious because she says in unconscious ways we dehumanize them so it almost seems like you know she could have said everything about people or our, at least our customers, right? Or the, or the, the, uh, the friends on which we depend for our salaries, or something. You know, that could have been. Uh, and and so then she goes on to spend a lot of time talking about uh, the different labels we have. You know, and I remember the prism labels. Who could forget? You know, the 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 uh, furs and what was it called? I don't know. There was one called Furs and Jewelry. There was another one called Pickup Trucks and Shotguns or something. Shotguns and Pickup Trucks, which I always liked. Um, but but anyway, we come up with these segments. Half the fun of segmenting is coming up with those. But she'd never heard Disingenuous Grifter before. And I think that I've never heard it either. Uh, the very word target, you know, target marketing does not convey... You know, you don't think of your target in fond terms, mostly. A target is a recipient of a projectile, right? Something we aim to hit, right? Okay, and what we're talking about here is people, right? People. And the next article in juxtaposition with this is hilarious. So you got you to gotta hang on for this. Uh, we're comfortable thinking of customers as disempowered recipients of our smart marketing or or ordinance ordinance yeah that's like the shell that you fire from artillery um i i you know i was talking with a vp of marketing about about a uh, a subscription program or a scripts you know an online subscription and they called their the the, the people who subscribed they didn't call them subscribers they didn't call them members. They didn't call them their community or their tribe. They called them users. And the users spent a significant amount of money as a percentage of revenue. It wasn't all advertising-based. They actually paid money. And I thought, 
What? Talk about dehumanizing users. It's like, you know, drug users. I don't know. Doesn't sound good to me. But uh, so we talk and then and then Helen says it gets even worse because we talk about the aspirational target, an idealized version of our customers, younger, slimmer, wealthier. You know, and I think it was I think it was Chadwick's of Boston. Um, I think Chadwick's did a talk at Namoa years ago, and they talked about how they they really, really wanted a younger, slimmer, wealthier audience. So they stopped mailing their catalog to their regular customers and and thought they could just email those and, and would go and spend a lot of money targeting their aspirational customer, their aspirational target, and they went bankrupt and someone else bought them and brought back the catalog. Maybe there's some wisdom there. But just this past week, I talked with a customer that was cutting $1 million out of their print budget, which wasn't really catalog, but it was print, and and was very proud of the fact that they were going 100% digital and didn't expect sales to go on all that much. Although they had at the one store, they'd tried it. They'd gone down, but not that much. Okay, It's shrinking to greatness, as you've heard me say. No Great company shrinks to greatness. So our customers are not quite how we'd like them. Let's describe the target consumer as though you like them. That's Steve Henry says, Lena, why don't we talk about those people as if we like them? <clears throat> it's a very, very big flip. Okay. So um, she says, and there's one more factor. She said, did Allison Rose, who worked for NatWest for 30 years, just happen to dis Nigel <clears throat> she said it's widespread um, and it it's even exacerbated I always like that word it means it makes it worse <clears throat> that now marketing is trying to make the world a better place so um, so their 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 enthusiasm for purpose and a higher order kind of uh, purpose leads them to to treat some customers with disdain. Uh, we're busy here creating a better planet. Since that rousing workshop in last January, <laughs> our lives, our talents, our harness to that aim. What do we call those even among our own customer base who stand in our way? What more to our point? What do we do about them? Which brings us to the next article, which I think is super excellent. Maybe as a foil for my my observations in the past, but uh, optimize the experience with negative personas. For as much as Helen is is right about a lot of that stuff, that we have to be very, very, very careful. Annette points out, <clears throat> Annette Franz points out in this excellent article that she's written many articles about personas and even a book. Three ways to put the cons the customer in customer experience and the heart of your business. But one thing I haven't written about is negative personas. So there's an interesting admission, right? And she says one thing you can say about these are they're the, they're the opposite of your target audience. And they can help you avoid wasting resources on people who are not a good fit for their products or services 
Uh, and how do you find those? How do you develop negative personas? Well, one way is to look at churn surveys, win-loss surveys. Now, it's really important to note that that Annette is big on surveys, okay? <laughs> what? Who are the customers who never converted? Now, that is something we can do with data analysis, right? And we've done some just fun studies of categories of customers that never buy again, which is very helpful. We call it the early life modeling. And what it does is it tells you that, you know, 60% of your customer file, if you keep track, probably only bought once, didn't spend much, and hasn't bought lately. And no matter what you've tried, they haven't come back. Now, can we categorize those at all? Because if we can, we can decide, and this is high-risk stuff, really high-risk stuff, but we can decide that they don't deserve a catalog. Cataloging is such a great arena for this because you see the, there's a, there's a, there's a big cost. You know, when you're mailing 5 million customers, that's, that's real money, right? These days, it's about $5 million a pop, right? A month or something like that. So you don't just want to willy-nilly be scattering catalogs to the wind, much contrary to consumer perception of junk mail. We are very, very careful and would love nothing better than to mail no catalogs to our customers and still have our $50 million or $500 million business going along happily. You know, that was the, the mission of J. Jill. Let's get rid of these dang catalogs and we can make more money because we will we'll lower our costs and nobody will notice except they stop buying. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that we uncovered as an example, just an example, was with Cabela's. We learned that, we learned that people who bought female camo from, from, really high-end neighborhoods, especially in October, unlike the hunters that were buying it, it's hunting season, were probably buying it for a Halloween costume because <laughs> they seem to never come back again. <laughs> what a surprise, right? On the other hand, the male customers from high-end, super high-end neighborhoods were our best hunting customers because we figured and this is all conjecture. We didn't do surveys. They, Cabela's did surveys, but we weren't privy to those, and this wasn't didn't ever come up on the survey, I don't think. But our speculation, since Cabela's moniker was world's finest, I think it was world's finest outfitter, was that these guys were going on safari, and there just wasn't a good place to outfit for a safari in Manhattan. Okay. We also found with Musician's Friend that beginning guitar guitar buyers, if you were just buying a cheap guitar on sale, you might never come back. Or, and we'll get we'll get to what we did with them eventually. But the other thing was uh, with Hamaker Schlemmer, we found that people who bought through Amazon were very were not very valuable. People who bought electronics from Amazon in the fourth quarter. Uh, from our catalog were very, very well. They were they were almost like worse than our worse than prospects, worse than everything. Now you say, well, Amazon doesn't allow you to mail their buyers. Yes, I know, 
But if you take those Amazon buyers and you match them back to your customer file, these were people that had bought from us previously or had interacted with us, so we did know their names, so we could mail them, and we did try to mail them, and what we found was that they just weren't much good, except for when. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, what about the cus the customers that are loyal to your competitors? Which I think is part of the Amazon problem, is that my kids talk about, I bought it on Amazon. They don't say I bought it from Hamaker Slimmer through Amazon. Uh, and Vermont Vermont Teddy Bears um, has has actually marketed to that, and they've they've conveyed the the information that you might get better service if you buy directly from us, because we can deal with customer problems better than if you buy our product through through Amazon. Uh, and another great idea in working with Amazon is they used their liquidation items not to make any money, but to drive traffic to Amazon in general, to have such a great deal of such an, of a, of an actual name brand and of a high quality product at such a low price that Amazon pays them <laughs> for the traffic. And that actually can, can flip the equation on the liquidation items and make the, the whole endeavor come out okay. Um, so what about people that that download content but never buy or uh, or only buy when something is radically on sale. We built that for Musician's Friend because every six months they would do a very large sale catalog in the in January and in uh, in August. And, you know, we said, well, maybe you're just eroding margin for your best customers. And we found out there were there were significant customers that didn't really ever buy on sale. They bought everything on regular price. And oftentimes those were the business to business people. They were the they were the band managers and they would be buying for the band and the band said, I need some more guitar strings or I need some more picks or something. And they wouldn't worry about the price because, you know, they were the manager. If a band is is successful enough to have a manager, then they're probably successful enough to pay full price. So we would deliberately not mail those. Um wire road margin but some of these sale buyers the beginning guitar buyers we would mail them right in, a, in an attempt to activate so we would take away some of the best buyers and use that circulation to go deeper in our file or go to older buyers that hadn't bought in a long time and that principle is key here you don't want to just cut you want to cut and make up the difference somewhere else you want to you want to keep your circ targets the same and that that's the number, not the person. Um, so but then there's other things about resource allocation. You know, Bullock and Jones would have people who would buy outfits and uh, and spend a lot of money, buy often and then send it right back. And so that data is findable, high returns. But what we did for our modeling was we included a return charge along with an order processing charge. And that would move these people who basically bought and returned 100%. They would make them lifetime negative margin, net profit, lifetime negative net profit. And so the model would ignore them and would not mail people like them and would use that in the modeling process. And so it's very, very handy to build 
proper variables like those sale variables were very very powerful okay know who you're not targeting right and we also probably and we also found problems with people who would we uh, when i was running uh norscott catalog we would have people who spelled their own company name wrong and wanted to return them you have to realize that every every inappropriately returned item that you accept costs your good customers money right i had a friend who would buy buy dress shirts from land's end and if they just got a little worn he'd wear them and wear them and wear them and then when they got a little worn he'd send them back say this wore out and get new ones and he would just keep doing it well that's a that's a person that on our model would not be would not be mailed often right because we really don't want to hear from you again and uh and so it's often easier to rule people out than it is to include people you don't know you don't know why people buy a bentley automobile so you may not be able to figure out in the highest dwelling value zip codes who's going to buy a bentley but you can probably figure out postal codes where they're not going to buy bentleys and use that to target your resources so then they talk about uh if your data is incomplete it's always incomplete if this is especially important if you have a limited budget all budgets are limited the point of a budget is limited is limits and but but don't give up on everybody use this mindset of exclusion some of the time to keep in touch with potential customers john worth uh, who founded Woodworker Supply of New Mexico said, he said, once you're a woodworker, you're always a woodworker, but sometimes you have money. And he would have customers spend $40,000 at once when they decided to retire and cultivate that ha that hobby that they'd had. And they might have only bought a couple of times ever for for decades from him. But he would every now and then mail deep. And that's the main principle, that the main advantage of negative personas have a great day like and share give me a call if you'd like questions about your about your marketing and join the wdma to make that a fair trade bye bye